We're so glad you're here to listen to this week's sermon from Park Street Church. Park Street is a historic congregation located in the heart of Boston. But more than that, we're a community of people from all different backgrounds who believe and are united by the good news that Jesus is Lord. Visit us at parkstreet.org to learn about our community. I'm struck that at this moment when one of the disciples pulls out the sword and starts to resist Jesus's arrest, he makes this amazing observation to his disciples and says, don't you think that in a moment I could appeal to my father and have called for 12 legions of angels? 12 legions of angels is over 72,000 angels to come to his aid and his defense. But instead of resisting and fighting and defending, as Jesus could have done in a moment, instead he yields. He yields to an excruciatingly painful and humiliating death on a Roman cross. In his book, Dominion, Tom Holland, the British historian, opens with a reflection on the crucifixion. And borrowing a little help from the first century Roman philosopher and statesman and orator Seneca, Tom Holland writes this, quote, No death was more excruciating, more contemptible than crucifixion. To be hung naked, long in agony, swelling with ugly wheels on shoulder and chest, helpless to beat away the clamored birds, such a fate, Roman intellectuals agreed, was the worst imaginable. End quote. Jesus hung there on the cross, not for himself. He really had no business being there. But he hung there in love for his father and in love for you and for me. This greatest display and expression of love that the world has ever known. Our goal as disciples of this crucified Savior and King is to become like him, which as we saw several weeks ago when we looked at Bartimaeus, the blind man on the road outside of Jericho, means that when healed of, uh, when healed of our blindness, when we can see clearly as Bartimaeus could, that Bartimaeus got up and followed Jesus on the way. Our goal as disciples of Jesus, if you are defining your life as a disciple of Jesus this morning, is to follow Jesus on the way, which is the way of the cross, which is the way of love. It is to become like Jesus. That is what we're aiming for. And over the past several weeks, we've been looking at multiple elements, key elements arising out of Scripture that help to sustain and grow us in a life of becoming like Jesus, of walking on the way of the cross, the way of love. All of them empowered, of course, by the Holy Spirit. Without that power, we have no no ability to move forward. We've been looking at worship, at loving God, at, at community, at loving one another, at mission last week, at loving our neighbor. And today we bring this to a close as we take up the topic of catechesis. And it's fitting that it falls on this Palm Sunday, the Sunday of the Passion, as we have this story laid out before us. The the word catechesis arises from the Greek verb katecheo, which means to instruct or to teach. 
And it's a word that was taken up by the church in the patristic era and refreshed in a, in a great way in the Reformation era to point to the process of grounding and growing disciples in the word of God and the gospel and their implications for our lives. Love of God's word is foundational in a life of becoming like Jesus. For it is the word of God that grounds and forms and, and fuels this life in the spirit. And it grounds our worship and our community and our mission. It is an anchor, this word. Several years ago when my oldest and I were on an extended river, day, a river trip through the Grand Canyon, uh, every night when you get to your campsite, the first thing that you do is you anchor your boats. Usually that's with a kind of wedge that you pound into the sandy beach and then it has a rope that you tie off on the bow line of the boat. Every night you do this, except the last night we were taking out in, in Pierce Ferry, which is part of Lake Mead. And after coming out of Separation Canyon around mile 240, late in the day, you stop on a beach and have dinner together and then you load up your boats again, lash them together in this kind of large float, flotilla, <laughs> of all these rafts and gear and then push out into the seemingly currentless water. After nine or ten hours of sleeping on the side of the raft and trying, not a great night of sleep by any means, uh, you wake up and you're 40 miles down the river in Lake Mead close to Pierce Ferry, the takeout. Without an anchor, even when we can't recognize the current, even when the water seems still, and it is not still, I promise you, in the world, without an anchor, we float far and far. And without the anchor of God's word, not least when the current is unnoticeable, but especially perhaps when the current is raging, we will float far and far off our course. Psalm 119, 9 and 11 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The point of storing up the word is not to accumulate head knowledge. Or to be puffed up in our knowledge, our understanding, just cognition. The point of storing up the word is to live a life as the psalmist says, that I might not sin against you, to walk, or we might put it positively, to walk in a, in a way that aligns with the will of our God, to live a life of obedience that pleases him. Being grounded in the living word of God is essential to living the life of God, to becoming like Jesus, to following him on the way of the cross, the way of love. And our goal today, as we look a bit at Jesus, is to see this grounded life, exemplified in our king and savior the one who we want to become like demonstrates for us the centrality of prizing knowing and standing upon the word of god throughout his life and especially as we'll see in his passion and then we want to just consider briefly what that might look like in our own lives as well so as we turn our gaze to jesus consider the first glimpse that we get of him after his birth Luke chapter 2 he's 12 years old and where do his parents find him they find him in the temple they'd gone a couple days or days journey and he wasn't in the group and they went back and found him in the temple and he was in the temple 
sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And then Luke writes, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. I want to say something to the children in the room, especially if you're 12. But all of you, it is never too early to start engaging with the word of God. Look at Jesus. Here he is as a young boy, a tween, we would call him, engaging in his father's word and obviously showing great understanding in that word. We, your parents and your pastors, long for you as children to know this word, to engage this word, to grow in an understanding of this word as a central part of your childhood and your life, like Jesus did. At the outset then of his public ministry, right after his baptism, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. Three times he's tempted, three times. How does he answer? With scripture. He quotes scripture to face the temptations that he's facing, to overcome those temptations. And the first scripture that he quotes is Deuteronomy 8.3. After the devil tempts him to turn these stones into bread and Jesus says, you remember, man does not live on bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Could Jesus have made it any more clear what the foundation of our lives is to be? How we are to to sustain our lives in the midst of the temptations around us. The current that is pushing around us to push us off course. It is to say that we live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is how we shall put down the lusts of the flesh or silence the demonic opposition and lies that we hear in our heads and see all around us. It's how we resist the counterfeit offers to life that are offered to us day in and day out by being grounded in the word of God. Then at the outset of his ministry in a synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus stands up to read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 and then he sits down and what does he say? To the assembled congregation today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words Jesus understood his life and vocation as the son of God as the Messiah to be shaped by and fulfilling the word of God. It shaped him as he stepped into his ministry. Why does he ride into Jerusalem at the triumphal entry as we've just celebrated at the beginning of the service on a donkey? It is a symbolic action. He knows the scriptures. He knows the prophet Zechariah. And so he's doing something that is symbolically representing a fulfillment of that biblical text that says your king will come riding to you on a donkey. Here he comes making a loud statement with his scripture informed actions that he is the fulfillment of those promises. This grounding of Jesus throughout his life in the scriptural word is I want to note not just something that is isolated from his relationship with the father. I would argue that Jesus' grounding in the biblical word is an expression of his intimacy with the father. Of this relationship of eternal love that exists between the father and the son. It is expressed in Jesus' dwelling upon, knowing, chewing upon, and meditating upon, and living out of the biblical witness, the scriptural witness comes out of intimacy this knowledge of the word and then we come to his passion his time of great trial this is not when the water like that day that last night on our rafting trip was smooth and you couldn't detect the current really this is a moment when the the rapids are raging the storms are blowing This is that great moment of testing and trial. And so what we see is Jesus' life from the beginning, from his boyhood, age 12, 
all the way to now when he enters into Jerusalem and then goes to the cross that that was all in a sense preparing and grounding him to be able to withstand the great moment of turmoil and trial. And so we see throughout the passion narrative Jesus referring to scripture standing on scripture before the the text that we read in chapter 26 verse 24 he says as he's talking about Judas his betrayer he says the son of man goes as it is written of him he's holding on anchoring in scripture after the supper was over and he he starts to introduce the theme that his friends would deny him and scatter from him he he quotes Zechariah 13 verse 7 for it is written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered his anchor in this time of desertion from his friends is actually the biblical word that's what he's standing on to support and strengthen his own life in this time of trial when one of his disciples begins to fight the crowd as we mentioned at the beginning he says he could call angels but then he says after he just says that I I could call these 12 legions I could call on my father and he would send them. But he says to his his disciples in that moment, how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? It's his understanding of the biblical word and the scriptural word that enables him to resist this temptation to call upon the help and get out of the situation. That's in verse 54 of chapter 26. Two verses later, as the crowd is gathered to witness his capture, he says, to all who have gathered but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled as he's in his trial and the the chief priests demand to know whether he is the son of God how does he answer he says you have said so but I tell you from now on you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven that was an illusion a strong one to Daniel chapter 7 which in this time among the Jewish people was being interpreted messianically that this was a a text about the coming Messiah who would receive all authority and rule over all the nations and Jesus says in no uncertain terms I am that one as he responds to his detractors scripture on his lips as he goes through this moment of trial And then actually there's the reality of what he did not say. Twice we're told in verse 12, again in verse 14 of chapter 27, that he gave no answer. But he gave no answer, not even to a single charge. Isaiah 53, verse 7, as we read earlier, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth do you see that Jesus at every point is living out of the words of scripture that this is the ground and anchor and foundation of his life throughout his life but now especially at the moment of his greatest trial and where do I finish this little survey at the cross hanging on the cross mocked derided by all the onlookers by the thieves at his side And what does Jesus do on the cross? He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. In Luke's account, he cries out, into your hands, O Lord, I commit my spirit. Psalm 31, verse 5. Here at the cross, at the moment 
of his greatest trial. Jesus has the words of scripture upon his lips. Psalm 22, and Jesus knew this psalm, no doubt by heart. This is a psalm that, that shows so much of what he will come to do. And so he, knew, he was very acquainted with this psalm. This is the psalm about a righteous sufferer who is scorned by mankind, despised by the people, mocked by his accusers, but whom God ultimately rescues, which leads to, the, to all the families of the nations worshiping before God. Jesus knew the scriptures and this was his anchor and foundation from start to finish. He is tethered to the word of God, taking solace from the word of God, breathing the word of God, being guarded from temptation by the word of God. And this helps him understand what's happening internally and what's happening to him as he marches to the cross. His fidelity amid opposition and difficulty, his refraining from calling the angels, his silence before his accusers, his not responding to the mocker's challenge to come down, all this is portrayed in the passion narrative as resulting from his being grounded in the word of God. It's this grounding that enables him to be rooted, to walk faithfully, to resist temptation, and to remain in step with the will of his father. I actually don't think we do any injustice to Psalm 119 verse 9 if we changed it in this way. How did the Lord Jesus keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Jesus' walk to the cross, his blazing the trail on the path of love was grounded in and directed and reinforced by the word of God. And here's what I'd like to say to us, that as we are called to follow him, as we too are called to deny ourselves and take up our cross, our following down that path is no different. It is, of course, categorically different in that our taking up the cross is not redemptive for the world not the once for all sacrifice that his was but nonetheless Jesus calls us to follow and he sets the example for us in how to do so by showing us that his life is grounded in rooted in the word of God so we out of intimacy with the father having been given to us in the gift of the gospel of God's love and initiating grace for our lives we too then Hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the word of God, our beloved Father. Knowing the narrative and the texture and the direction of the word of God, in short, loving God's word will, as we're empowered by the Spirit, enable us to live faithfully, to bear faithful witness to the glory of God, that his, his glory might be manifest and known in our day. This isn't, by the way, again, just about acquiring knowledge. It is about understanding and being grounded and rooted for the sake of faithful living, faithful improvising, if I could say it that way, of the life of God in every present circumstance, new circumstance in which we find ourselves. When cancer comes, when we have tremendous success at work, when we're overrun by anxiety, almost in a debilitating way, when we're facing exams that we think are far too great for our ability, when someone dies unexpectedly, when wickedness and temptation assault us, perhaps even get the better of us, when we're bored, when someone offends us, when we offend 
someone else. When a relationship gets strained, perhaps even broken to what seems like the point of no repair. When a parent grows old and becomes more and more needy and we wrestle with how to express and honor them. When a son or daughter pushes back and seems to run away from the way that we raised them. When our investments soar with the markets or come crashing down and countless other circumstances. To know the word, to be grounded in the word enables and sustains a fruit-bearing life amidst all the complexities, challenges, and temptations and fuels our ability to follow Jesus on the way the way of the cross. God's word is the truth. It is our anchor, our foundation. And our entire life is built upon this. And everything that we've looked at in this series throughout Lent rests on this foundation. The gospel that we proclaim that Jesus is Lord of all and through his death and resurrection, we can know forgiveness of sins. We can have new life. We can be born again, have fellowship with God and actually be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. This is rooted in the word of God. The reality is that in the face of competing goals for what our lives are to be about, God's word reminds us that our chief goal as disciples of Jesus is to grow to become like him as beloved children in response to the gospel, to walk on the way of the cross, the way of love. This gives us our true north and guides us on this path. In the face of competing allegiances and counterfeit gods, we are called through the word of God to worship the Lord exclusively, to give him our wholehearted devotion, to serve him only. This is what the Father seeks. In the face of rampant individualism and the increasing loneliness and isolation that we experience in our media-saturated culture, we find in the Word of God that we are not alone. No, we belong to and are needed by the community of the people of God. And we are rightly grafted into the body of Christ by faith, through grace, through Christ alone. And it is an amazing gift to have a community of people to which we belong. You are not alone. And the Word of God reminds you of that every day. And in the midst of an ever-increasing self-consumption and self-focus and self-glorification in a social media culture and an identity politics culture that divides and pushes apart, we are called to be for others on the mission of God, to love and bear witness not only to our neighbors but to our enemies and to see through that love the, the mission of God to reconcile and renew all things come to pass, to be followed and pursued even more greatly. All of this is undergirded by the foundation of the word of God. To lose the word, to sit loose on the word, to neglect the word is to invite compromise, confusion, and instability. It is to be drifting along the currents of our age to find ourselves miles off course when we come to wake up. To prize desire, recognize, see the word as sweeter than honey, as more precious than silver or gold, to hide it in our hearts, to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is like our Savior Jesus to be grounded, assured, strong, and comforted in following our King on the way of the cross, the way of love, the way of life. It is no accident that in describing the spiritual battle between the heavenly forces uh, between the, the, the wicked forces of evil in the heavenly places and the people of God, that the one offensive weapon 
of the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is vital, vital in enabling us to walk on the way of Jesus. Blessed is the man or woman, someone, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law, the instruction, the Torah of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Become like Jesus. Follow him on the way of the cross. And recognize that every step we make is on the foundation and the anchor of God's glorious and truthful word. This sustains, nourishes, and directs our lives. May we prize it. May we live into this. And may we follow Jesus together. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your example. Thank you for this incredible reality of your love displayed in the passion. Pour out your spirit upon us, we pray, that we could indeed become like you. Men and women who are marked by love because you have so deeply led the way and loved us. We thank you for your use of the word of God. And we pray that in our lives of following you, this word would remain as always a foundation. I pray especially for those who are shaken and afraid for good reasons, that you would be their rock and their anchor and that the truth of your word would cut through the fear and reassure them of your love and their identity as your sons and daughters. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.